we're, we're, we're very much involved with Yaakov Avinu. And you know that Yaakov is the most interesting of the Avot. And the reason that I think he interests us and we find him so compatible with our own way of thinking about things is that Yaakov made mistakes. He did things incorrectly. And because he did things incorrectly, it had to be redeemed from that incorrect, those incorrect things that he did. Because of that, <coughs> because of that, we we feel close to him. I mean, Abraham, he left the world that he grew up in and he went to a new world and never complained. Yitzchak, he, he was just perfection. Whatever God said, that's what Yitzchak did. He didn't even imagine for a moment that he could disagree. But Yaakov, when he thought that he wasn't going to get the bracha that that was given originally to Abraham, he lied. He fooled his father. He he went in collusion with his mother against his father, who didn't do he thought perhaps didn't really get what was going on. Now that's something that we know about. We've all had that feeling that there's somebody who doesn't understand, and we've got to make them understand somehow. But there's another question, a more specific question. You see the pasuk at the top of the page, Hashem La. You remember that Rivka didn't have children, and it it was very wearying to her, and she prayed that God would give her children. And Vayomer Hashem La, Shnei Goyim or Goyim. Goyim is the way we read it, and Gimu Yud Yud Nem is the way it's written. Bevitnech. Two geim, there are two of them in your stomach. Two nations, they will come out of your in, intestines. Oh, I mean, you know, not exactly the way we would say it today, you know, our understanding of biology. But, okay, well, we get the idea and there'll be two nations, one nation, another nation. So each of these parts of the Pasuk is explained by Rashi. So let's look at it. Right, that's what it says, the first three words. God said to her, Rashi, don't think that God came down to talk to Rivka about this matter, but there was a shaliyah. Who is the shaliyah? Shame. shame Neymar. God spoke to shame. Beruach HaKodesh. Kind of uh, an awareness of God. Vehu Amarla. And he, God, he shame, I'm sorry, he shame said to her, now here there's a technical thing that you have to look at carefully. You see, you see back to the Pasuk. Back to the Pasuk. Here it is. Just one second. I'm going to use my newfound power. You see? It's a little confusing the way it's written, but it says, the second word is goyim. 
That's how we read what's written in the Torah. But what's written in the Torah is Gimel Yud Yud Mem, which could be understood differently. Like what word could that be? Gay, Gayim, Gayim, proud. Two proud nations. So Rashi says, <coughs> Rashi says, Gayim Ktiv. So Rashi says, where's there an example of proud. Who's the proud? So this is Elo Antoninus with Rabbi. Rabbi is Rabbi Yudha Nasi, who was the editor or the compiler to some extent of the Mishnah. And he was friendly with Antoninus. Antoninus was not one of ours, but was a friendly uh, uh, Greek-leaning type. Shelo, what is the what is the pride? What's the pride? Shelo paskumi al shulchanam, that all year long they had radishes and chazeret, chazeret, whatever, whatever chazeret is. You know, there's a problem on Pesach. Lobi mota chamav, lobi mota kishamim. They were able to to make sure that they had these vegetables all year long winter winter and summer so that's the explanation that Ra, that rashi gives to shnei goyim there are two goyim there are two peoples who are proud and and rashi finds an example with antoninus and rebbe okay think whatever you will about that it's something very uh, interesting to my mind most people eat the vegetables when they grow. This is mostly in the summer and sometimes in the winter, but the things that grow in the summer, you can't uh, actually eat in the winter because they wouldn't be fresh. But if you bring them, import them from a warmer climate, for example, you could eat them if you were able to import them quickly enough. Okay, Shnei Umim, Rashi says, two nations, Ein Le'om, Ela Malchut. Malchut means it's organized as a nation. There's a kingship in that nation. Rashi says, they, they come out of your intestines. One is going to be a bad person. The other is going to be perfect. He'll do things in the right way. Then Rashi says, They won't be equal in their greatness. When one is up, the other one is down. I will fill in the destructed, that's which is destructed. So, Sur was, when did Sur go up? In the on the stage on the world stage, Mechuba Nashal Yerushalayim when Yerushalayim was was destroyed.
So before we look at the Rashi again, I just want to understand. I mean, why did HaKadosh Baruch insist that Rivka should have twins? I mean, Rivka was having difficulty having children. So we could say that the twins that she actually gave birth to, Yaakov and Esau, were the result of, of God's will. And since twins are statistically rarer than single births, why did Rivka need this kind of birth where there were twins? And twins are something special. They're, they're kind of close to each other. They're closer usually, I mean, I can't say this with full guarantee, but this is the way I, I understand it, that twins are often close to each other, closer than a brother and a brother, a brother and a sister, a sister and a brother. I mean, they, the twins are, are something special. It's a special kind of attachment that only twins have. Only twins have. I mean, I realize it's probably not always true, but it is often true. So even though Rashi says, Rashi says, one is good and one is bad. Rashi says here, Zeleri Show, Vizelitumo. I'm underlining it. Zeleri Show, Vizelitumo. Each one of them, each one of them went his way. Asa went to the way of wickedness, and Yaakov went to the way of perfection. Well, if that's the case, why why did we have two of them? I mean, it's true that Abraham Avinu had two sons, at least he had more than two sons, but he had two sons that we recognize, Yitzchak and Yishmael. But because only one of them was born from his true wife, Sarah, it was never a question. It was never a real competition between Yitzchak and, and Yishmael because Yishmael was out of, the, out of the picture. His mother was not the wife of, of uh, Abraham, but she had another, another standard. There was some other category that she fit into. So what, what in fact, what in fact is the reason for Esav? Now we know that through his life, the life of Yaakov, until he comes back to Eretz Canaan, Yaakov was, life was made very difficult by the fact that Esav grew to hate him even more. He was a bad person but he was able to find new reasons to hate Yaakov. He hated him when he was born, but he hated him when he took away his birthright. He hated him when he took away the blessing by fooling his father. He determined that he would kill him as soon as his parents died. He was the cause of Yaakov running away from Eretz Canaan. You remember, you remember Eliezer was sent by Avram Avinu to get a wife 
for Yitzchak. So Eliezer says, or Eliezer knew that he was going and God would be directing him. So Eliezer said, well, what if I find her and she doesn't want to come back with me? Should I bring Yitzchak here to meet her? Abraham said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yitzchak is not going to come to, to the house of Lavan to get a wife. You've got to bring her back to us. Now, there could be a variety of reasons for this, but I'm thinking it's in the family. This idea that you don't go to Chutzlaretz to get a wife. And here's Yaakov, who built his family in that place that Avram said, don't bring Yitzchak there. So I think we could agree that Esau was not only the enemy, but Esau made, uh, made Yaakov do things that he might not have done if there had been no Esau. And again, I ask, why do we need the story of Esau? What is Esau, in what way is Esau going to enhance the story that is being told? It's only trouble. It's only trouble. And we know that at the end, if you look at uh, moving to the Varek Lamed Gimel, you know, Yaakov comes back. He's got this big family, got a lot of animals, right? Then he's going to confront Esau. He lifted his eyes. Almost, he sort of was hoping that HaKadosh Baruch would make him disappear. The way the story is told. He lifted his eyes. What do you mean he lifted his eyes? He's looking all the time. But but when you say that, you say it's like a revelation. He knew that Asa was there. He sent him presents. He sent him a message. <coughs> Suddenly, he lifted his eyes by... Uh, guess what? Is Aesop? He's coming along. What do you mean he's coming? Each 400 people, I guess that was like his army. It's kind of like, like it looks, it looks almost silly. On one side is Yaakov. He has women, he has children, he has sheep. I mean, nothing that has anything to do with a fight or warfare. Those days that you get them together, you have to pay for them, you have to feed them. So he he had 400 soldiers with him. Well, you know, everybody was a soldier in those days. And he, Yaakov, split up the children. He made like groups of them, right? He made these groups. I mean, it's hard to tell what Yaakov thought he was doing. 
I mean, what difference does it make? I mean, they, they had nowhere to run. They had no backup. There wasn't any, but I guess Yaakov wanted to show that he was doing something. I mean, what Vayacha said Abiyadin could do for the, against the 400 soldiers of Esav. And then Yaakov did something which is not, uh, not necessarily, might not be seen as being a, a great idea. You know, he took the, the lesser wives and their children and he put them in front and then the order, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly. I mean, that uh, maybe they won't be killed if they're at the end or in back. He stood in the front, and he was, they were all set up by Yishtachu Sheva Parmim. I don't know anybody else who did this. He bowed down seven times to Asaph. Complete defeat. No question. There's no need to fight the battle. We've already lost. Ad gishto ad achiv, as he's moving in the direction of his brother, achiv. I mean, the word achiv indicates a change in Esav. Now, sometimes he's Esav, sometimes he's achiv. Achiv means good, positive, proper. Right, that's good. Vayaretz Esav Likrato, and all of a sudden, Esav runs in the direction of Yaakov, Vayaretz Likrato, to greet him. Vayichab Kehu, Vayipolot Savara, Vayishakehu, Vayipku. Vayaretz Esav Likrato, Vayichab Kehu, he held on to him. He hugged him. He fell on his neck and kissed him. And they cried. Then they cried. Let's look at the Rashi. Medleya v'yeladea achronim means Achronim Lea Vilade Achronim Lea was in back of the Shvachot and the, the other wives, Bill of Zilpa, but in front of Rachel and Yosef. So Leah was Achronim, and Rachel and Yosef were Achronim. Rashi says Achron, not in the sense of the last, but in the sense of Achron, Achron, Chaviv, that the word Acharon here means beloved. Yaakov is trying to take care of them. 
the the Leah and her children, Rachel and her son, Yaakov is strong. That's what achronim. It doesn't mean the lesser one. It means the more important one. Okay. Now we're in uh, in pasuk gimel uavar lifneihem. That's Yaakov. Amarim yavo Torah shali lachem yilachem bi techila. That's what he said. If he wants to fight the wage of war, he'll come and he'll fight with me. I don't know exactly what Rashi thought about that idea. Pasuk Dalet, you see, Pasuk Dalet, unexpected ace of ram. Rashi, so Esav felt badly. He's, he changed his the way he thought about his brother suddenly when he saw him bowing down all these genuflections. Vayishakehu. Vayishakehu. You see the pasuk? Look at the pasuk. Vayipol al Sorry. Rashi explains this. Vaishakehu. Nakudalam. There's a dot atop of the word Vaishakehu. I don't know if you could see it, but you see the shin. Vaishakehu. Vav yud shin. It's, it's faint, but it's there. There's a, a dot, I think, in the in the shin. But if you don't see it, you don't see it. But you know it's there in the Sefer Torah. Nakud And usually that kind of nakud is seen by Rashi as being a reminder to to for a drasha. So Rashi says nakud alav. V'yesh cholkim b'davar hazeh b'brayta. The Sifri, he, he refers back to a Tanaitic Brita as found in the Sifri, which is the Medrash Halacha, in this case of Balmidbar, Balot Chasavachet, Yeshe Darshu Nekudazot, There are those who say that the Neshikah, that the kiss that Esau gave to Yaakov was not true. He didn't really mean it. Omar He says, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, remember that name, Miron, Zohar, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, it's well known, it's a principle of our existence, Viyadua, the Esav Shonei Esav always hates Yaakov. So how come he's kissing him? His, his mercy, he had, he felt this onslaught of mercy for his brother, at that moment. In, 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 in other words, I, I think that the, that the principle is questionable. How could you say that Esau always hates Yaakov if he's kissing him? And they cried. They cried together. 
So we all know that sometimes, sometimes mitzvot are evaporate because of the situation. The most famous of these situations is uh, Shabbat. Pikuach nefesh. Docher Shabbat, there's a decision that what God really wants is that you should protect life. And even though God has told us that this is Asura, that is Asura, the, all, all the, the way we keep Shabbat is, is very important. Nevertheless, Pikuach Shabbat, Pikuach Nefesh, Docheh Shabbat. Sometimes you have to act against God's will in order to protect life, which is also God's will. So it's not always clear. It's not always clear what the right thing to do is. It's not always clear to us how we should, how we should act. And the rule of thumb is that we try to act in accordance with God's will. That's the rule of thumb. But sometimes we get mixed up. Sometimes we get mixed up. I remind you of uh, Shaul HaMelech, who did not act in accordance with the with God's will, which was that the people of Israel, that the people of Israel should destroy the Amalekites, and Shaul HaMelech didn't do it. And the Tanakh mentions specifically he didn't do it because he had mercy on the leadership and the animals of Amalek. And because of that, he lost his claim to the kingship of Israel. Because he did not destroy Amalek when he had the opportunity to do so. So you might ask, but it says that clearly that he was, he was being merciful. And you know very well that mercy is a divine quality. Hashem, Hashem, kel rachum v'chanu, er rav chesed, these are the divine mercies. So if here, here is Shaul Melech saying to the Navi, he said, yeah, but I, I, I thought this was a higher goal, mercy. Why, why should I have to kill the people when I'm feeling the mercy? And Shmuel said to Shaul, there is no such thing as mercy against a divine command. If the divine command is to destroy the Amalekites, it's inconceivable that mercy would take precedence. Inconceivable. 
So we get back to Yaakov Avinu lying in order to protect his claim on the bracha. So we know that Yaakov Avinu and his mother Rivka, they said, we know that you're not supposed to lie. We know that you're not supposed to fool your father. And, and even you may think that he doesn't uh, entirely take in the situation as, as he might, but it's not the way to do things. It's not the way to do things, but they said, they said sometimes, sometimes a, A secondary command deposes the primary command. The secondary command was Yaakov thought that he was supposed to get he was supposed to get the the bracha. And in order to get the bracha, he would kind of reject a different command, which was not to lie and not to fool your father, to have kiburava aim. To, to respect and to honor your parents. And Yaakov said, this case, in this case, in this time, in this way, I've got to, I've got to overcome. I've got to overcome. So we see, we see interestingly enough, that who was it that engineered this mistake that Yaakov made? Oh, that was... That was Esav. If not for Esav, there wouldn't have been the question. If not for Esav, there wouldn't have been the, the lying and the cheating and, and all of those attempts. And because of that, because Yaakov made the wrong decision, how do I know that it was the wrong decision? Because if you look at the end of the parasha, not our parasha, previous parasha, you see that Yitzchak gave him the blessing of Abraham, which had not been given away to either Yaakov or to Esau in the previous division of, of, of these. Wasn't given away at all. And since it wasn't given away at all, Yaakov didn't have to do anything. He didn't, he fooled himself. He actually fooled himself into thinking that my father probably doesn't know what's going on and will make a mistake, and so I've got to do something to fix it. But he was mistaken. And because he was mistaken, he was sent into exile. Of course, he was sent into exile because of the way that Esau acted, but we have to agree that he deserved to be sent into exile. Who's not sent into exile? The perfect one. Yitzchak can't be sent into exile and should not be led into exile, even for an important cause. Yaakov, he was different. Yaakov was different, and therefore Yaakov's punishment was a punishment that he would go into exile. But you know, at the beginning of the parasha, at the beginning I made like there are two more points that I want to make. The beginning of the parasha, the Ramban, the beginning of the parasha of Ayishlach, the Ramban says, you know, the Avot uh, answered that question, why are they called Avot? I mean, why not include 
Yosef and Moshe and Aaron, and they include everybody as one of the Avot. No, no, they're called Avot because they had a determining effect on the future of Jewish history. So when Avram Avinu came, when Avram Avinu came to Eretz Kedad, he made immediately to Shechem. Shechem, further north. And he went there because he thought he would daven. He should daven there. He would daven for his for his great grandchildren, who would have trouble in Shem. You remember Shem and 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 uh... <coughs> oh. Oh. Dina. They would battle, they'd fight a battle, and they would they would win. And Yak and Avram Avinu wanted to make sure that they would win. How do you make sure they win? You get the Daven. But they could Daven any place. You didn't have to go to Shem to Daven for the benefit of, of, of his grandchildren. And again, when the battle against Shem and Hamor. No, no, Avram Avinu had to go there. And because, because the Ramban explained, Ramban explained that when you do something that kind of comes with the prayers that you make, you're talking about creating history. That's the Ramban's idea, right? Something to think about. Creating history. Ma'ase avot siman libanim. What the fathers do, and that was Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, what they do is going to determine what happens to the children. So the Ramban says, when you think about Yaakov, you have to realize that Yaakov was the one who went to Chutzlaretz. He lived with his mother's family. He created his own family, children, animals, money, and he was able to get out. He was able to get out. And so the Ramban says that this, besides being perhaps a punishment for what Yaakov did, the Ramban says this is the creation of the future, that in the future, the Jewish people will be punished. The Jewish people will not be able to make it through their own history without the punishment of exile. And that's in the Torah, the parashiyot in the Torah that talk about that. They won't be able to do it any other way. They have to be exiled. But Yaakov Avidu, ensured that there would be a return. That's what the Ramban says. Yaakov Avinu ensured that there would be a return, which means that B'nai Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael will return to Eretz Yisrael. As difficult as it might be, as difficult as it will be for them to be in Chutzlaretz, outside of Israel, they have this guarantee that they will come back. And I imagine, I imagine though, you know, I don't know, but I, I feel that imagining is also good. I imagine that the fact that 
Am Yisrael in a variety of ways always thought, Am Yisrael always thought that they were coming back and that they would be able to remember that they were going back and that they thought about the Churban Beit HaMikdash as being something that had to be reconstructed, not deconstructed. The fact that they thought all of these things enabled them to to exist when all the other ancient yes, nations in the world who apparently didn't have that kind of a dream, right? Not, not the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the uh, the Greeks or the Romans or the Persians, right? None of them, they, they all got worn out and disappeared. They just don't, don't exist. They don't exist. They are the possessors of dead languages. Dead languages are languages that nobody speaks. And the reason that nobody speaks them is because they're gone. They're gone. I mean, it's really amazing. And that even though we are not, you know, overwhelmingly, overwhelming in our numerical achievement, we nevertheless are very much, are very much around. We're so much around. There's so much to us that we can really fight with each other a lot. And find us find ourselves something to disagree with. That's really terrific. After all these years, we're not worn out. We fight all the time. So that's what the Ramban says. That's what the Ramban says. I'll tell you that there's another another prophet that we have from the fact that Rivka had two sons who were twins. Twins, again, you know what twins are. There are different kinds of twins, but twins are usually seen as being close to each other. They're much closer to each other than, uh, uh, certainly than two men or two boys born of two women who were the wives of one father, like Yitzhak and Yishmael, were not particularly close at all, right? Twins feel for each other, do things to each other. Sometimes parents of twins have to divide them up because they're afraid that they will lose their separate identities. I don't quite understand that, but it doesn't doesn't matter. But you know that twins are special. They they are together more than a brother and a brother and a brother and a sister or a sister and a brother. I mean, they're really together with each other, really together with each other. So I don't know if that makes the the question even more serious. So so how come there were twins? Why couldn't Yaakov be alone? on the stage, as was his father and grandfather to a certain extent. But his grandfather came from the outside world, so he was different. Yitzchak had nothing to do with the outside world, especially. And here comes Yaakov, he has a brother named Esau, a brother who can hate him, but who also can cry together with him to kiss him. It's what the Pasuk says, that the brother, that's Esau. He had it in him. He had it in him. So I say, you know, 
the Kabbalists, but not only the Kabbalists, also the non-Kabbalists, but the Kabbalists very clearly say that every person has a Yetzer Hara. Every person, if he's not careful, if he doesn't watch himself, I mean, it doesn't matter who he is really, what his name is or what his title is, every person has to watch themselves. Every person has to try to maintain the primacy of the good in him and the bad in him, every person. And if you would ask me where we get the power, where we get the strength to be able to deal with ourselves, not talking about dealing with other people, but dealing with ourselves, I mean, where do we get the strength to do that? How do we get the strength to do that? So it may be Yaakov and Esau, brothers, twins, who had the capacity to work together, but also the capacity to disagree, to dislike, to try to outdo. But Yaakov, lying to his father, had also the aspect of beating Asa, which he realized was an important thing. For Yaakov, Esav was Yetzirah. It was the bad. It was just there all the time. And somehow Yaakov knew that he had to deal with that. And so, Shnego Yimivitnech. You're not going to get rid of this, according to the Kabbalists. You're not going to be able to get rid of the inclinations that you have sometimes to deviate from good and go to bad. And in these cases, Yaakov is going to help you. Yaakov, in his victory over Esau, I mean, it's true, Esau came to Yaakov, but it was Yaakov's victory. Whatever he did, however he had managed it, he had a family. He had children. He was the educator. He was able to deal with with Esav. It wasn't that it was it was not fraught with fear, danger. It was, but Yaakov won. He won because he was still standing when the day was done. And even though Esav had a natural disinclination to treat Yaakov positively. Here you have Esau giving in. And so if Esau and Yaakov, the twins that were born to Yitzchak, somehow represent the tension between the good and the bad, the proper and the improper, that we understand, and that, that Yaakov I mean, is telling us that if we work at it, the good will be victorious. And the bad will be gone, will just be gone, as Yaakov and Esav seem to seems to indicate. So that in accordance with the Ramban, accordance with the Ramban, it's true that there's a question. Why was Yaakov a twin? 
But according to the Ramban, there may be an answer. Because we need the strength that Yaakov expressed or displayed against Esau within the battle in ourselves, even closer than twins. <laughs> the good and the bad in us. The good and the bad in us. Okay. Uh, have a good Shabbos. Be well.